You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Later, we'll hear from Turkey about President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's latest crackdown on journalists and others associated with the Islamic cleric Fethullah Gulen. But we begin in Japan, where Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has won a clear victory in a snap election he called two years ahead of schedule. Mr. Abe's coalition, made up of his Liberal Democrats and the smaller Komeito party, won two-thirds of the seats in Japan's lower house, but on a historically low turnout. So what's next for the Prime Minister, who's promised to drag Japan out of decades of deflation and to turn his back on so-called apology diplomacy for Japan's role during the Second World War? I'm joined now from Tokyo by our correspondent, David McNeil, and here in studio by the Irish Times foreign policy editor, Patrick Smith. David, why did Mr. Abe call this election in the first place? Well, he said it was to get the public's verdict on his economic policies. Abenomics is what they've been dubbed. Uh, His critics said that uh, it was because he wanted to cement power while the opposition was weak and divided. Uh, And I think that there's an element of truth to to that. You know, two-thirds of the voters didn't understand why he called the election. It cost well over $500 million. Uh, The turnout of 52% was the lowest in post-war history. He didn't need to call it until 2016. And the suspicion is that he wants to uh, really to sort of silence the opposition as he heads into uh, what's likely to be a very, very bumpy political road in the next couple of years, because there's a number of things on the agenda that most Japanese, according to the polls at least, don't support, uh, one of which is uh, constitutional change, uh, switching on Japan's nuclear reactors, and even the economy. I mean, there's, there's a large element now of, of, uh, of discontent with the policies that he has brought in. And of course, the economy is in recession, we should add that. Can we just start there with the economy? Because he was, in a sense, elected to uh, to promote this uh, policy of abenomics, which is this expansionary economic policy. What has he done so far and what's left for him to do? Well, there were three hours, of course, with fiscal, monetary and reform. Those were his, that was a metaphor he used. And basically, as we've so we're two years into this project now, what it looks like is that this has just been an attempt to flood the economy with money. Uh, what he has done is he's instructed the Bank of Japan uh, to print uh, uh, something like 70 trillion uh, yen, uh, and that has uh, what it's done is it's boosted the stock market, of course, by about 70 percent. But the, um, the the bottom line, I suppose, is that most people in Japan are not feeling the benefits of that policy. Wages have stayed flat or have fallen. Uh, Imports have become more expensive because Mr. Abe has talked down uh, the yen. And uh, most people uh, are just uh, a little bit unhappy with what's happening. And that's really why he had to call the election, because he could sense trouble around the corner. Now, his coalition won the election. But in fact, his party, the Liberal Democrats, did less well in a way than his uh, smaller coalition party, the Komeito party. Can you tell us something about these coalition partners? Well, they're an odd bunch, really, a real odd couple, because the LDP, of course, is a conservative party. Um, If it stands for anything, I suppose it stands for uh, pro-business, but also uh, it wants to, as we've said many times, uh, change the constitution to allow Japan to take a more proactive defense stance. And if Komeito stands for anything, well, first of all, it's a party, I suppose, of classic social democracy, 
Uh, it wants to increase uh, the sort of welfare welfare elements of the Japanese economy, uh, and it also stands for pacifism. Uh, it's resolutely opposed to uh, dismantling Japan's pacifist stance, which is now 70 years old. So it's a, it's a sort of an uh, amazing that they have uh, stayed together all this time uh, and that they have uh, managed to survive, especially given the fact that Mr. Abe makes no secret, I suppose, that uh, he, when he, with this new mandate, that he is going to try very hard now to uh, to change the constitution. Will he succeed? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I think Komito will be one of the roadblocks in the way. There's a large amount of resistance in the party to this. But then Komito hasn't really stopped him so far. You know, they would say they've been a break on his worst instincts. Um, and there's a large amount, we have to say very clearly as well, that most Japanese people have no appetite at all for um, a beefed-up military or for confrontation with China. How, do you um, speak, uh, how is this being viewed, uh, Mr. Abe's victory? How is it being viewed in the rest of the world and by his neighbours? I think, um, obviously, the, 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 in terms of the world economy, people are anxious to see uh, success and the, 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 the expansion of the Japanese economy, which is very, very sluggish at the moment. So, the, but, but there will be nervousness about the... Um, uh, what David was talking about there, uh, the change in the, in the constitution in relation to the military. The Americans will be delighted because it, it, it takes some of the burden off them in terms of regional defense. But you have to see this in the context of really quite serious tensions between Japan and, and two of its key neighbors, China and, and Korea at the moment. Uh, and, and David, where foreign policy is concerned, are we likely to see this stepping up of this uh, nationalistic stance or, uh, or is Mr. Abbey likely to cool it over the next few years? Well, we've had a number of signs that uh, he may have um, stepped back a little bit. One, of course, was the, the detente with China um, last month. Um, that was a sort of welcome sign. Um, and there are also signs that uh, Japan is talking to the Koreans. Now, um, what, we, what we're looking out for, I guess, is next year is the 70th anniversary of the end of the war. Uh, and <clears throat> Japan, uh, on the 50th anniversary of the war, uh, is issued a very sort of the gold standard of its uh, wartime apologies, if you like. That was the Murayama statement after the prime minister of the time. Um, and uh, uh, it also issued this very famous Kono statement, which was an that was 20 years ago. That was an acknowledgement that Japan had rounded up uh, sex slaves throughout Asia. And what we're looking for really is any sign that uh, Abe will renege on either of those two. Uh, and it seems as though at the moment he is boxed into a corner. There's no question at all that he he would like to water down those statements in some way. But it seems as though he he cannot change the Kono statement. So what we're looking for now is some sign that he will backtrack on the Murayama statement, some sign that he will water down Japan's apology to the rest of Asia for what took place in 1933 to 1945. Uh, Paddy Smith, how closely is the rest of the world watching how Japan marks this anniversary next year? Well, I think uh, I think the point is really is is that the the, the Americans in particular are, are deeply concerned about the tensions in the uh, in in the region, and they would not welcome uh, Japan uh, going down that road. It the, the the reality is that 
they regard the Japanese as uh, have there's, there's an element of sort of what what economists call moral hazard in Japanese posturing about uh, these these issues because they know that the Americans are there to protect them and to defend them and uh, the Americans resent that that uh, reality and I I think that there will be pressure from the Americans uh, on Japan to to cool it. Finally, David, uh, Mr. Abe now with this election victory has successfully reset the clock, so he's got four years left. You said he's got a, a bumpy ride ahead, but is is he in the clear now in terms of political threats to him that he's likely to remain in power for the next four years? Well, there's a number of potential problems. Um, one, of course, is what he's going to do with the economy. Uh, you know, the, the, this policy of buying up uh, huge quantities of bonds, essentially nationalizing the bond market, <clears throat> that's alarming or beginning to alarm the world markets, and um, they will probably have something to say in the coming months. Politically, I mean, one of the interesting developments in the election was that uh, some of the left at least increased. The JCP, the Japan Communist Party, went from eight seats to 21, which was a clear protest vote. And the, even the strength of Komito within the government will make some of Abe's plans a little bit tricky. And then there's Okinawa, which, of course, is where most of the American bases are in Japan. Uh, the LDP completely lost control of Okinawa, and that's a sign, I think, that most people there uh, are um, at least skeptical of these bases, and they don't want a new base to be built down there. And that's a real potential problem for him, because for Abe, because he has made a great deal of uh, noise about building a new base down there uh, as, as a promise to the Americans. And if he can't do it, then uh, he loses a lot of political capital. So there are problems coming down the road, I think. David McNeil in Tokyo, thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me, Dennis Staunton. Police in Turkey this week arrested more than 20 people, including journalists, TV comedy scriptwriters and the editor of one of the country's biggest-selling newspapers. It was the latest episode in President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's long-running crackdown on followers of the Islamic cleric Fethullah Gulen, a former ally and now the president's sworn enemy. The arrest drew condemnation from the European Union, but Mr Erdogan was not impressed, telling the EU to mind its own business. So what's the Turkish president up to? To find out, I'm joined from Istanbul by our correspondent Stephen Starr, and Patrick Smith is still with me here in studio. Stephen, what exactly happened this weekend? So early on Sunday morning, uh, several dozen journalists and editors from Turkey's largest selling newspaper, Zaman, uh, were arrested, were charged and arrested uh, by Istanbul police. Um, word of these arrests had uh, got to the editors and to the newspaper um, a couple of days beforehand uh, through a whistleblower who uh, listed the, the names of the, of the people to be uh, arrested on, on Twitter and other social media. Um, so there was a large protest at the offices of the newspaper early Sunday morning. Um, at first, the police were turned away by the large crowds of of uh, journalists, editors, and supporters of the Gulen movement in Istanbul. At about 2.30 in the afternoon on Sunday, the police returned and eventually took uh, these journalists and editors away. And uh, apart from the editors and the journalists from this newspaper, there were also some TV comedy scriptwriters who were rounded up. That's right. Yeah, it seems to be the case. I mean, this is a common, becoming a common occurrence that anyone who voices... Uh, opposition uh, to the AK party and to President Erdogan in particular are being charged with what appear to be trumped up claims uh, 
of uh, informing and leading and being members of armed terrorist groups, terrorist organizations, which is what these individuals have been charged with. Now, for most people, uh, as you know, these people being journalists and well-known in the public eye, uh, to be charged of being uh, organ- of being part of, an, of a terrorist organization is, uh, gives the impression that obviously, obviously there is something else uh, in, in the equation as well. Um, and of course, what we're you know the the Zaman newspaper being um, affiliated with, in a certain sense with the uh, the Gulen movement, who is an Islamic um, uh, cleric, as you mentioned, who's currently in self-imposed exile in, in the United States, uh, and the growing uh, issues between himself and uh, Bishop Tiber Erdogan. Obviously, this is coming to a a, a head. In, in terms of the arrest of these uh, journalists. And Stephen, can you explain uh, just the origins of this dispute between Erdogan and Gulen? Because they used to get on rather well, didn't they? That's right. I mean, essentially what I'm hearing is that it, it was over money, that the Gulen movement um, runs a lot of schools, institutions, media organizations, newspapers and whatnot in Turkey. And there was a certain amount of give and take uh, in terms of money and, and contacts. Uh, between the AK party, which is an extremely successful political force in Turkey for the last 10 years, uh, and the Gulen movement. And um, apparently this was the basis of, of the disagreement between them. Uh, in November of last year, Erdogan spoke out and said that uh, what was happening in, in the Gulen schools was uh, questionable. He, he questioned in public how uh, young boys and girls, or students at least, uh, could stay in, in dorms and he kind of put a question out to the Turkish public, basically by saying, we don't know what the, your kids are getting up to, we can't protect them in these schools. Uh, that was followed then, uh, last December, by the arrest of um, a number of people close to the AK party, um, and uh, Mr. Erdogan, and since then things have, have obviously escalated quite a lot. And indeed, after that uh, corruption scandal about a year ago, when various people associated with President Erdogan were accused of corruption, uh, the AK party uh, instituted a kind of a purge of the police and the judicial system of the Gulen supporters. Has that purge been complete, or are there still some of them lurking around the place? Yeah, it's still happening. What's interesting is that the majority of these over 2,000 police officers, judges, prosecutors... Uh, police chiefs of various cities around the country. Many of them, the, the cases against them have been dismissed by various courts across the country. But it, essentially the idea that, uh, it seems to be the idea at least that what the AK party and uh, the Prime Erdogan, who is no longer a member of the party as he is president of the country, the idea at least is that they are trying to instill a sense of fear that if you speak out against um, the, the, the Turkish government, that there, will be, that there will be repercussions. In the same vein, almost, as what's been happening with the, the, the man uh, newspaper journalists and editors uh, just this past weekend. Uh, Paddy Smith, uh, the European Union has condemned uh, what's been going on here, and not for the first time. Is there anything that they can really do about it? Well, I think that the the, the reality is that in the last, uh, certainly in the last few months, um, the Turks have become more and more openly sceptical about Europe's intention ever to bring the the Turks into the into the European Union, and and so um, in some ways, uh, you know, the European Union is simply shouting from the side, sidelines. And when Erdogan says uh, to the European Union, "Mind your own business," he's rather pointedly saying, actually, you know, this whole enlargement business. 
business uh, and the prospect of, of us being part of, of the EU is something that isn't really on your agenda, is it? Is he right? Well, it's politically, it certainly it does look like the case. Juncker, uh, when he became president of the, the commission, made it clear that there would be no enlargement for the next five years. Uh, there was no prospect anyway of Turkey getting in within five years, but the Turks have taken uh, that to mean that basically they've been completely long, long-fingered. And and the problem is that it's not only on on the question of, of enlargement and Turkish accession uh, that European leaders have problems. That they're, they're also having difficulties with Erdogan in the fight against ISIS in in, in Syria, and um, they're they're very worried that the strategic alliance that that they had with Turkey, uh, Turkey's a, a, an important member of NATO, that that is meaning less and less. Um, but could we? Would it be fair to say that uh, the European Union's reluctance to advance uh, the enlargement negotiations, uh, the accession negotiations with Turkey over the years is actually partly responsible for what we're seeing in Turkey now in terms of Mr. Erdogan's indifference to uh, European standards on human rights. Well, I think that that's undoubtedly the case. I, I, I don't think uh, that that uh, for some years now it's been, it's been quite clear that the, that the Europeans were extremely half-hearted and some countries are downright hostile. The Germans in, in particular, the French are very hostile uh, as well and the French will actually bluntly rule it out uh, as, as being a prospect ever. So um, it, Erdogan is right to say, look, you know, you're, you're not, you don't actually have a, a right to tell us what to do. On the other hand, uh, he is... Uh, purports to be a Democrat. He purports to uh, uphold the democratic values that the, the, the European Union is supposed to stand by. In practice, we're seeing him more and more turning his back on, on a democratic rights, but also on the European Union. And he's building, for example, important relationship with, with Vladimir Putin uh, in uh, in economic and, and political terms that, that is worrying the Euro- Europeans. Uh, Stephen Starr, is that uh, an analysis you share that essentially Erdogan is turning his back on uh, on Turkey's European future? Yeah, that seems to be the case. And I think that's been the case for at least the last number of years. I mean, the sense that you get when you listen to Erdogan and many of his, his public speeches is that he has a vision for a new Turkey, uh, an Islamic Turkey that uh, that he hopes to see, and he hopes to see the Turkish economy become one of the top 10 uh, largest economies in, in the world over the next uh, 10 or so years. That's unlikely to happen, of course. But there's a sense that, and he, you know, he often speaks about uh, Turkey's origins in terms of the Ottoman Empire's uh, famous and uh, glorious victories over Europeans and in the Middle East, and he uses a rhetoric of uh, expansionism, I guess you could say. Um, so that the idea that the, that the EU matters is not really the case at the moment. His primary concern right now is with the followers of, of the Gulen movement, uh, which has people in, as I, as I mentioned earlier, in the police forces, in the uh, in the uh, judicial system, in, in certain media organizations uh, also, uh, and latterly. But uh, to no less concern, obviously, is the war in Syria. There's about 1.6 million registered, uh, 1.6 million registered Syrian refugees in Turkey at the moment. Uh, he has uh, Islamic State on his, on his doorstep along the 900-kilometer uh, border with Syria and, and Iraq. So these are the two issues dominating the UK party and President uh, Erdogan's 
uh, thinking at the moment. Eddie Smith? I, I was struck, Stephen, and maybe you could you could tell me uh, about this. I was struck in the reports of the arrests, of the almost sense of, of celebration, not quite that, but in the demonstrations, that, the, that they seem to be uh, almost contemptuous rather than, than angry. And, and it gave an impression that, that really they, they think that this is, a, this is a rather desperate fling by, by Erdogan. Is, is there a sense in which maybe he, he's, he's taken one step too far? Yeah, I think this is the latest, the latest move in, in a series of uh, undemocratic moves uh, by the government over the last, particularly as we, as we have talked over the last 12 months or so. It seems to be the case that Erdogan's own personal uh, goal right now is to seek an arrest warrant for uh, Fethullah Gulen, the, the uh, self-imposed uh, cleric who's in the state. Now, how close we are to that, I guess, in light of what's happening, uh, what's happened over the, the weekend with the Zaman newspaper arrests, in, in a sense, you could say that it's, it's one step closer to that, to that happening. But, of course, you know, the, the logistics of, uh, of getting, of, arre- of arresting uh, Fethullah is another story. But it creates a sense in Turkey and amongst uh, the supporters of the AK party and Mr. Erdogan that it's almost inevitable that an arrest warrant could be issued for Mr. Gulen. Stephen Starr in Istanbul and Paddy Smith here in Dublin, thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories on irishtimes.com and you can contact us at worldview at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Gary White, And from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.